Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Um, I don't know how you feel about this theologically or what you believe, but when I was five years old, I, I had a, a moment where I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was a real salvation experience. I was at a camp and uh, I gave my life to Jesus. I was told that, hey, you know, he died for my sins and my, my eyes were open in that moment and I didn't want to go to hell. And so I'm like, no, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. And I said yes to following Jesus at five. Now from five to about 20 years of age, I wasn't living for him. All right. Like, you, you know what that's like. I was just in rebellion years in middle school and in high school and just dating the wrong people and, and hanging with the wrong crowd and drinking and smoking, all that kind, kind of, of craziness. And then I got to college and I had these moments of, of a crisis of faith in my life where although I'd given my life to Christ and I wasn't living for him, how many of you know the closer and closer you get to God, the more your standards start to change? And that's what was happening in my life. In college, my, my standards were changing and I was still dating some, some women that were, that were great, you know, but they, they weren't, you know, the standard that God had for me. And so I would, you know, have this moment of, of, of crisis and I got to the end of my rope and I said, I'm done. And how many of you know, when you get to the end of your rope and you seek God, you will always find him. And so I sought God at the end of my rope and said, I'm done. And, uh, in retrospect, uh, God was always working things behind the scenes because I had some friends that were, you know, starting to get engaged and get married. And I'm like, God, where's my girl? Where's she at? Where's my Proverbs 31 woman? You know, that, you know, the, um, my standards are increasing. And, and so, uh, you know, I'm looking for the right one and, and, and like, I would pray to God constantly. Where's my girl? Where's my girl? You know, who do you have for me, God? And, and in hindsight, you know, God's like, hey, do you want to know where she is? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's why I'm asking you, God. Well, what, what I didn't know and what you didn't know is that my wife is almost three years to the day younger than me. Like two years and 360 days like younger than me. And so as I'm begging God, God, where's my girl? Who do you have for me? He's like, hey, pump the brakes, buddy. She's in high school. <laughs> he's like, chill, all right? Because I'm like, right, who do you have for me, God? And, and he's like, she's in high school. This is not a, quit making everything so spiritual. This isn't a spiritual issue. This is a statutory issue. <laughs> so if you would just hang on a second. And so this is how great God is and how he works behind the scenes. I joined this this tumbling team in college. I've told you about that before uh, where we did, you know, little flips and all this kind of stuff. And, and it was, it was dumb, whatever. <laughs> but we went up to, um, Toledo, Ohio, where my father-in-law, I didn't know it at the time, he used to be on this tumbling team in college as well at Asbury College. And so he hosted us. And so we would go up there, do a show at the middle school, and then tell kids about Jesus and our relationship with God. And it was a great time. It was a great opportunity to witness, you know, to, to kids in middle school. And then he had us over to his house for dinner that night. And so all this whole team is scattered around the house kind of thing. We're just wandering around and I'm not even kidding. I, I found my way into this one room and we're just hanging out. I'm playing guitar and this girl walks in and it's her room and I'm sitting on her bed. I met my wife on her bed. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. And so immediately, 
like after that moment, you know, my, I was just like, man, who is that, you know, and, and learned to find out, you know, she was just finishing high school, and I'm like, all right, you know, that's how she was going to come to Asbury, and I went back to school. Uh, if I was in a relationship, I don't remember at the time, I broke that off. I'm like, you know, that's not what God has for me, and so I started writing, Kristen, and like, you know, pen and paper. I don't know if you guys know what that is, right? This is back in the day, writing letters. We didn't have cell phones back then, barely had email, you know, at that point. And so we're writing. And so here we are 26 years later, four dogs, four kids, three of which I'm committed to. One, I don't take any responsibility for. A lot of mistakes, some marriage counseling, some incredible memories and some incredible moments and an amazing wife who reminds me every day of the star of the book that we are about to read called Ruth. And if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book in your, your Bible. And that's what we're gonna talk about for a little bit. And I wanna give you two disclaimers before we even dive in today about relationships and about you know, how God wants to work in our relationships because this is super complicated, two disclaimers, and then we're, we're gonna take a Bible bath. We're gonna go through a lot of text. The first is this, if you are divorced or have been divorced or are currently walking through a, a divorce, listen, there's no shame, no guilt. Like if you've, if you've been working on your second divorce or your, or your third, if you're on your fourth divorce, I'm not even sure what I could tell you. But can I just tell you something? Here at Elevate Church, you are not a second-class citizen. You need to know that right off the bat. Why, Colby? Because there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. If you have been saved and set free by the grace of God, right, you've given your life to Christ, there are no such things as second-class citizens. You are a son or daughter of the king, and you need to remember that. You've been adopted by him. And so guess what? You are already perfect. According to God's word, that doesn't mean you're, you're holy, it means you are a work in progress, and we all are, right? But according to God's word, if you said yes to following Jesus, you already have an A on the exam. Is that good news for somebody? You've already been given 100%. So what that means, it frees us up for this month to come in here and talk about relationships, not from a place of shame or guilt or condemnation. It frees us up to talk about it in a, in a, in a way that we can grow and that we can learn and that we can get better because we're all just trying to, to get better, right, in, in our relationships. And that also applies to our, our marriage relationships. The gospel declared us perfect. So even though we're not, you know, completely holy, we are a work in progress. So we don't have to be fake, I guess is what I'm trying to say. We don't have to put on airs. We don't have to pretend like we got this all figured out. So if you've been divorced, listen to me, God's mercies are new for you every single day, every day, right? There's no shame, no guilt. He is waiting. He has a, 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 a bag of, of mercy and grace with your name written on it. And he is ready to rewrite the story of your life for your good and his glory if you allow him to do it. So there's no shame in that at all, all right? And so if we don't believe that, then why do we even come? Like if we really don't believe that, that there's grace and mercy for us all, then we should stop going to church. We shouldn't even be here. So that's the first disclaimer. Second disclaimer is this. I said it sounds complicated, but we all know it is complicated. And so I am not approaching this from a position of, I got it all figured out. Because none of us do. You try to figure out a woman. We ain't got this figured out. 
None of us can figure this stuff out, right? There is no such thing as a perfect couple. We forfeited that right in the garden when sin entered into the world. So we're not approaching this from a place of, we got this all worked out. Here's what you need to do. There is no one in this room who is immune to tragedy, to trials, to troubles. It is just a fact of life. Every life, every relationship, every marriage is going to experience it, but the couple that expresses what we're gonna talk about today, humility, grace, loyalty, kindness, during the middle of those troubles and trials and tribulations, that's the couple that's gonna be able to stand up and say, you know what, although this is complicated, there are some things that we can practically do to make something that's already complicated a little less complicated. Is that what we want, really? It's just to kind of learn and grow and make some things that are complicated a little bit less complicated. And this short, sweet book of Ruth is full of the above. Grace, mercy, loyalty. And I want you to look at it with me. If you're ready, say, let's go. Ruth chapter one, verse one says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. He's talking about the, the, the Israelites and talking about Israel and there being this famine. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, Moab were, were kind of the enemies of the Israelites. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. That kind of sounds like a bad Star Trek kind of thing right there. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, entered tragedy into the story, entered trial, entered trouble, right? Died. And so she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah. I like to call her Oprah because she is every woman. And the other, Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And so now Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. Now, when Naomi had heard in Moab, this is verse six, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, right? This, this drought, this famine season was over in, in, in her, her home country, her homeland. She and her daughters-in-law, again, for the sake of the story, Orpah and Ruth prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. You gotta, you gotta picture this, right? This, this, this widow lost her husband, lost her, her sons, and now she has these two Moabite daughters-in-law. And she says, all right, well, there's, there's food back in, in my homeland. You know, let's go back there. And I have to imagine it was pretty short on the journey because Naomi, we're gonna see right here, was a woman of class, she was a woman of, of character. So at some point she had to stop and say, hold up. I can't take these, these women back with me because if you know anything about this, this time in ancient history, how dangerous it would have been for a, a widow and not just a widow, right? A foreign widow to go into another country. Like they would have been vulnerable. It would have been unsafe for them right, in this, in this kind of period. So Naomi stops and she says this in verse eight. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you to your mother's home. And she says this, this sweet thing that proves her character and integrity. May the Lord show you kindness. Someone say kindness. There's 
show you kindness to your, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and also to me. And that word kindness, I want to stop and talk about for a minute because the Hebrew word for kindness is the word hesed. Everybody say hesed. And we need to be familiar with this word because the English translation, you know, into kindness does not do justice to the Hebrew word hesed. If they were to, to define it correctly, they would have had to use all these different adjectives to describe this one word hesed because hesed is this word about love in the form of covenant. It's kind of like the, the word agape in the, in the Greek. It's this love that goes beyond convenience, hesed. It's a love that goes beyond chemistry. It's a love that goes beyond um, just cosmetics. It's a love that goes beyond, uh, you know, how we feel in that moment. It's this love that's birthed out of both loyalty and mercy. That's hesed. In fact, I was reading one uh, commentator on it. He said hesed, and he started to refer to it as, he said, it's like a food. And so as soon as he said food, I'm like, amen, bro, because that's my love language. And so he said, it's like a, it's like a sandwich. And, and on, on, in a sandwich, you have two slices of of bread, and he said, on one of the slices of bread is is loyalty, and the other one is mercy. And how many of you know you cannot have a thriving relationship without a lot of both, loyalty and mercy, because in this broken, sin-stained world that we live in, it is impossible to always walk in the loyalty that has said requires of us without having a pocket full of mercy to distribute over and over and over again. Are you with me? You can't do it. In a marriage relationship, in any relationship, walk in loyalty constantly, right? Because it's a fallen, broken world, because we're sinful people and not have the ability to distribute mercy over and over and over again. And so in between loyalty and mercy, he said, like that, that makes up has said are things like generosity and humility and kindness and peacemaking and love. And so that's all in that one word has said. And so what's happening here, Naomi is saying, you, Ruth, have been a woman of Hased. You have shown extreme kindness, has said to our family. And so now, instead of what's, what, doing what's most convenient for Naomi and what's best for Naomi, the grieving widow, she says, I want you to go back to your family. You're there to comfort me and take care of me, but you go back to your family. You go back to your homeland. You find another husband. You fall under the protection of your, your father and your, your brothers. Naomi is doing right by Ruth, all right? Are you with me? She's like, hey, this is the, the best thing for you to do. And then they have this dialogue where the girls don't wanna leave, either one of them. We'll, we'll skip that, but Naomi says, hey, you need to go. And they're like, we don't wanna go. And Naomi's like, what, am I gonna, I'm gonna find a husband tomorrow and have kids? And are you gonna wait for them to grow up? Because that's gonna be super weird, right? You're gonna watch them grow up and then marry them. That's gonna be awkward. Uh, so skip down to verse 14. It says, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. In other words, she took her up on the offer. She's like, deuces, I'm out of here. And no shame in that, by the way. No shame. That was the wise thing to do. That was the safe thing to do, the practical thing to do, right? But listen to Ruth. Ruth is something special. Ruth, there's something powerful about this woman. Verse 14, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. 
And then some of you will recognize this perhaps from your, your wedding vows or your wedding ceremony. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And I will be buried there. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates me from you. You see how serious Ruth is? Like there's just something about this woman. It says when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And I want us to stop and think about this for a minute. If Ruth could be that loyal to her mother-in-law, just think of what kind of wife she was to her husband. Can you imagine that? Like if she could be that loyal to her mother-in-law and spoiler alert, you know, she's about to get married again to this guy, Boaz. We're gonna get there eventually. But if she's that loyal in covenant to her mother-in-law where she's willing to risk everything, risk her own safety, because again, a woman in the ancient world alone, a widow was extremely unsafe. This is why, by the way, God has such... Um, strict laws and language when it comes to orphans and widows because he knew how unequally, you know, women would be treated in a fallen and broken world. He didn't design it that way. Don't you ever think that he created women to be at a lower level than men? God is a God of order, but he is not a God of preference. Don't miss that. Right, so he didn't, he didn't create them to be less than men. In fact, in the garden, he gave Adam a helpmate, because men need what? Help. Help. Right? So we needed that. We can't do without it. We, we needed a, a helpmate. And so God didn't create them to be less than, but God knew how unequal they would be treated in this, this ancient world. So he has such strong laws and language when it comes to how we treat widows and orphans as well. And it would have been so unsafe for her to go into a, not only to not have a husband, but to go with her mother-in-law into a foreign country, a foreign land. She would have been so vulnerable, yet Ruth didn't do the safe thing. She didn't do the expedient thing. She didn't do the practical thing. She didn't do the thing that maybe the world would have even said based on their standards was wise. What she did was the thing that was loyal. She was loyal. And if there's one thing I want us to learn today, just even just one thing you get from this, because we're not gonna solve a bunch of, you know, relationship issues or marriage issues in the second week of this series. I'm not gonna give you, you know, seven steps to loving your jerk face spouse, you know, again. But if there's one thing I want you to get, I want you to write this down when it comes to doing what is right or doing what is advantageous by God's grace just always do what's right. When you get to a crossroads in life and married couples and anybody, you have been there in those crossroad moments where you have the choice to do what is advantageous for you or what is right, by God's grace and mercy, just do what's right. Because those two will often collide over and over again. Like we know that, like we've experienced that in our own relationships where you can do what's practical, what's wise, what's safe, what's advantageous. And you can even make a case as to why, you know, it's the wise thing to do according to the, the world standards, but you know in your heart that God has something different for you. You know in your heart that that's not the way God intended it or designed it to be because God's kingdom, how many of you know, is different than the kingdom of this world. So when you know in your heart, I shouldn't cross that line. 
or I shouldn't shack up or I shouldn't do that and I shouldn't move in when it comes to this collision between what's right and what's advantageous in God's grace and mercy always do what's right. And when you are a person who does that, when you're a person that does what's right over what's advantageous, you know what we call that? Character. And can I tell you something? God always blesses character. Always. And I know some of the pushback is like, but Colby, I've tried. I've tried to be a person of character. You know, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good catch and I keep, you know, asking God. I keep, you know, I, you know, I feel like, you know, I've, I've tried to have character in this, this area of dating and relationship but nothing's happening. And again, God always blesses character. Not maybe, not sometimes, always. However, here's the disclaimer. He rarely blesses character in the, the timeline or the way you would have him do it. And what happens is in that, that moment, in the gap between when he, he blesses us in our obedience, like a lot of us, that's when we compromise. That's when we go backwards. That's when we go back to the same dysfunction. That's when we go back to the same kind of attitudes and in that vulnerable season. But listen, it's, it, this is so important. The blessings of the kingdom of God in your relationships of like healthy relationships, thriving relationships go to the men and the women that when they're faced with those moments where you can either do what's advantageous or what's right, the ones that always do what's right, those are who God blesses every single time. We say, God, by your grace and your strength, give me the ability to choose what's right. But here's what I've also learned. God's providence rarely matches our preference. And this is what we find out with Boaz and Ruth, right? Because they would have never, they would have never preferred this whole scenario, this whole thing, this, this story would happen to them. So look at chapter two, verse one, they travel to Judah. And here's where we pick it up in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing. Maybe your text, your version says a man of character. That's our, our word for this month, a person of character from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain. Remember the reason why they went home, right, was because God was providing for people. And they thought, well, you know, at least I can go back home and I can, I can find some food. I can find some, some provision there. And so they pick up leftover grain. Those would be the scraps. She says, behind anyone in whose eyes I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. Now, listen to this, because I'm going to read it to you the way that, that I hear it when I read it. It says, as it turned out, she happened to be working in the field that happened to belong, Colby, why are you doing air quotes? I don't know. Happened to belong to her future husband, Boaz, who is from the clan of Elimelech. You know, the more I get around men and women of God who aren't perfect, but who are people of integrity and people of character, it's amazing that when you hear their testimonies and their story, just how many coincidences there seem to be. You know that? But you know what's also funny? In the Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew language, there's not a word for coincidence. You know why? God doesn't do coincidence. God doesn't do luck. God is providentially involved in every aspect of your life, even in the aspects of your life that you don't think he even cares about. But he's involved in all of it, orchestrating it behind the scenes. And God's providence, listen to me, is not for some people and, and, and not for others. 
is for everyone who would walk in the fear of the Lord, is for everyone who in those, those crossroad moments would decide to do what's right, not what's advantageous. That's who he, he blesses. And this is Ruth and this is Boaz. And while we're learning from this couple, keep reading verse four. It says, just then, all right, just then, as it happens, go figure, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, let's just call him Frank. I don't know why, just because. He says, Frank, come here, man. I got a question for you. And Frank goes, yeah, boss, because Boaz was the man. Boaz was wealthy by ancient standards. This was Boaz's, Boaz's. Yeah, you got to careful with that one. Boaz. <laughs> this was his field. These were his employees, right? This was his, his harvest. He was, he was the man. So he's like, Frank get over here. And he's like, yes, boss, what do you need? What can I do for you? And he's like, who's that? Like, read it. It's in the text. Who's that? Enter chemistry into the equation, right? (laughs) Which, by the way, we're going to talk a lot about chemistry because you need both character and chemistry. You need both of them. A lot of times pastors will get up here and throw shade on chemistry and, and amplify character. And we should, We should, but you need both because chemistry can also be God-ordained when used right as well. But we'll we'll get more on that. So Boaz sees Ruth and he's like, Aichiwawa, you know, who's that? (laughs) Kind of like that moment I had with Kristen. I was sitting in a room on her bed. She walks in, I'm like, what's up? I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know her history. And that's kind of what, what's happening with Boaz, right? And the the overseer, Frank, he goes, she is, verse six, a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. The sheaves would be these, these scraps. In other words, hey, whatever you guys don't deem worthy enough to, to eat and you, you throw to the ground or you leave, like, like I'll take those. So, so Boaz is thinking right off the bat, he's like, I like this girl. I like her spirit. I like, I like her spunk. She came into the field and has remained here, he says, from morning until now. Except just for a little while, she took a short break, a short rest in the shelter. And so now Boaz is thinking, I really like this girl. And she's a, she's a hard worker. I, I like her. So Boaz turns to Frank. He's like, that'll be all, Frank. You can leave now. And he goes up to Ruth and he says this, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go glean in another field and don't go away from here. It's happening Stay here with the women who work for me and listen to this, watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. Now check this out. I have told the men, remember how dangerous I said it was for the women, widows, especially foreign widows. He says, I've told the men they are not to lay a hand on you. Because don't forget there was no HR back then. There was no Toby from HR with his sexual harassment videos. The ancient times were dark. Like she would have been sexually taken advantage of and it would have been commonplace for it to happen. There was no question about that. They would have done that. So Boaz is like, I got, I got your back. He's like, I know how these guys operate. I know what they're thinking. I know, you know, what they're talking about on the job site, you know, kind of thing. But I'm the boss and not one of them is going to lay a hand on you, Ruth. And then he says this, and this is even more beautiful. He says, and whenever you're thirsty... You go and get a drink from the water jars that the who have filled, that the 
men have filled. And here's why that's beautiful is because in this, this ancient time, there was a hierarchy. There was a, a pecking order as to when it came to the single most important thing you needed to harvest well, water out in the field. And here's the pecking order. It would be a foreign woman. Again, women literally had zero rights back in this day. Like they were just thought of property, commodities kind of thing. And so women, foreign women would draw water for the foreign men. And foreign men would draw water for the Israelite women. And that was already kind of humiliating enough to do anything for a woman, but the foreign men would have to draw water for the Israelite women. And then the Israelite women would have to draw water for the Israelite men. This is the pecking order. And then the Israelite men would draw water for Boaz and the overseer, Frank. Like that's how, that's how it works. So look at verse nine again, when he says, Ruth, whenever you're thirsty, remember he just met her, foreign woman, right? No rights at all, no privileges. He says this, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that have been filled by the guys who get it for me, who get it for the big dog. You know what he's saying in that moment? He's saying, hey, when you're thirsty, you come and drink from my jar. Not the Dasani, the Fiji girl. You get the Fiji. That's what he's saying in this moment. And do you know the statement that he's making historically? He's putting his reputation on the line. He's putting his employees on the line, his business on the the line. When he says, I want you to bypass this whole class system, this whole pecking order hierarchy and drink from my jar. And I say that because ladies and gentlemen, especially the ladies, I want to set a stage for you. This is exactly the standard that you deserve. Nothing less, nothing short of this. Some of you are so tempted to sell out to someone who who is less than a a Boaz-like character because maybe you're lonely or you're tired of waiting and you start to, to compromise, right? But listen, this is the standard that you deserve. And this is the treatment that you deserve. And by the way, this is the character and chemistry that originally was in the garden with Adam and Eve before sin entered into the world, right? And disrupted what God had designed and guys, This is the way, this is the spirit in which we are supposed to treat the women around us. Just like this, we're called to lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life for the church and Boaz is showing us. This is an Old Testament, like pre-Christ era example of what Christ would come and do perfectly on our behalf. To come give his life and sacrifice for us. This is the example, men, that we've been given to have for our, our women. And I love this because Boaz is like, I don't care what they think. I don't care what the workers think. I don't care what my, my reputation is in town. I don't care what people, people say. I don't care about any of that. What does he say? Man, I see something inside of you. I see something that's special, that's, that's unique, and I'm going to take care of you. And if you're gonna be, and we already know, right, what's gonna happen, again, he's gonna end up marrying her. But he's like, if you're gonna be my girl, You're gonna be my bride, my wife. I'm gonna take care of you. And every single person in this room, especially you ladies, you deserve that. And don't settle for anything less. This is what you deserve. There's no greater calling, I don't believe, as a man than to go to bed at night, lay your head on your pillow, knowing that, man, I didn't get it perfect. I messed up a lot today, but I'm fighting to have the spirit of Boaz 
I'm fighting to protect. I'm fighting to treat, you know, my, my wife this way. And that's what we're called to do. Boaz ultimately ended up being the, the kinsman redeemer. And so he's this foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for us. He was the ultimate kinsman redeemer for all of us. Now I'll end with this in verse 10. At this, it says, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, she said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? And his answer, I love it. It's the same answer, uh, by the way, I would have given Kristen the night I first met her. You know, it, she never bowed down to me and said, how have I found such favor? <laughs> what she said to me is, where are we going for dinner? We're we going to Subway, we're we going to Fazoli's. I'm like, girl, I just got paid. We're going to Friday's. That was our first date. It was that Friday's. Listen to Boaz's reply, though, because this should, man, it should set some of you free from comparison, from thinking you have to be somebody that you weren't designed to be or created to be. I love Boaz's reply in verse 11. I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law. Ladies, don't miss this. Don't skip over this. She says, why have I a foreigner? Why have I someone who doesn't even belong here, who's just looking for scraps to pick up? Why have I found favor in your eyes? She's like, there's a lot of other women here. You're rich and wealthy and influential. Like, and look at me, I'm just, I'm working in the field. I'm a, a hot mess. Ladies, listen up. He's not, well, it's because you're so hot. Girl, you're so fine. You know, you're, you're, you're amazing right now. No, what does he say? I have heard about your character. You know what's hot, ladies? Character. You know what's hot, guys? Character. I heard what you did for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people that you didn't even know. He says, that's the kind of woman I'm looking for, one that's loyal, one that's, that's, that's humble, one that shows this extreme kindness has said, one that has this kind of generosity and mercy. Yeah, but Colby, the guys, that, uh, the guys I date, they're not looking for those things. Well, can I tell you something? That says just as much about you as it does about them. If those are the guys that you're dating. He says this, and I love this. He prays it over in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And what's so cool is Boaz is praying that blessing over her. You know what God's replying to Boaz? He's saying, actually, Boaz, you're gonna be the one that brings that blessing into her life. Like I was, I was so blessed to marry a Ruth. I'm so blessed. A woman of grace and mercy and generosity like, I'm so blessed. And not only do I want that blessing to be on her life, the blessings of God on her life, but I want to be the funnel through which he blesses her. And so, guys, why wouldn't we want this? Gentlemen, why wouldn't we want this? You already are, are made perfect in Christ. You already have an A on the exam. Why do we feel like we have to get our way, fight for our way, 
do this, do, do that, whatever it is, act and play the tough God part when God's grace and mercy frees us up to go, God, give me that kind of woman that I can bless, that I can bless on your behalf. Ladies, why wouldn't you want this? This is, this is the standard. You get to be that to a man as well. You get to be the, the conduit through which God wants to bless the men in your life. Boaz is the standard that we should look for. And I know what some of you ladies are thinking, well, I didn't marry a Boaz. I married a something else as. I, I get it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But God's mercies are new for us every single day. And if you're not dead, he's not done. Either we believe that or we don't. Either we believe this or we don't. Either we take God's word, take God at his word or not. And if we believe it, then this means every day God has an opportunity to do this. To do this. To restore, to redeem. However, it's going to cost you something. What's it going to cost? You're going to pay the price of character. You're going to pay the price of doing what's right over what's expedient or advantageous. In the moment when you're faced with those crossroad moments, maybe for the first time in your marriage, you're going you're gonna to decide to do what's right. Maybe for the first time in your dating relationships, you're going to decide, I'm going to do what's, what's right. And I don't want you to do it because God's word says we should have character. I want you to do it because that's where God blesses. This is how he blesses. He always blesses character. I want this too. I want this too. I'm just as broken and just as flawed. I have to pray every single day, God, help me be a better husband to my wife. God, I did not walk in a, a spirit of hesed this week. I did not give her what she deserved this week. God, God, help me in that. You know what God's response is? I've already given you an A on the exam. You're already made, made perfect. So when you repent, when you, when you ask for forgiveness, when you, when you mess up, what that is is sharpening your pencil, getting it right in the classroom, having God teach us in this classroom of life. Listen, no shame, no guilt. We're all in this together. And we all can get better because that's the goal. So let's do this right now. Would you stand to your feet with every head up and every eye open because we're family here. If you would have an honest moment in your life right now and say, you know what? I, I am not walking in the spirit of Hesed in my relationships around me. There are some, some areas, maybe it's loyalty, maybe it's mercy, maybe it's grace, maybe it's kindness, maybe it's just generosity, maybe it's humility. You'd say, I am not walking in the spirit of Hesed. I, I'm, I'm hurting those closest to me or I have hurt them in the past and I wanna get better like me, would you just acknowledge that right now by raising your hand, say, I wanna get better. Awesome. So look around, we're all in this together. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to do the best we can. And here's the great news. If you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, you're already at a hundred, it's okay. It's all right. But now we're doing the work of strengthening our relationships and our marriages just doing what we can to get better and walk in this, this spirit. And so God, I pray right now for those of us in this room that it just acknowledge God, we need your help. God, we need the, your, your, your spirit to give us strength and power and courage, God, to walk in the spirit of Hesed and the relationships around us. And so God, I pray right now that this act of, of faith and acknowledging our need for you 
would would end up in miracles, meaning this month would be filled with, with restored marriages and restored homes and families. God, we just believe that that's what you wanna do, that we don't always understand the timing of it, God, but you're, you're, you're always providing in our lives. And so God, we just want you to do an amazing work in our hearts and in our relationships. And while we're praying, there are some of you in this room or some of you watching online right now, this doesn't happen. Walking in the spirit of it has said doesn't happen unless you first are walking with Jesus. This grace and mercy, you can't give to those around you unless you've understood and received the grace and mercy that's been given to you first and foremost. And some of you have never crossed that line of faith and surrendered once and for all to Jesus. And here's what you need to know, that he died on the cross to save you from your sin and guilt and shame and have a, you be in a relationship with God, not in a relationship with, with religion or even with this church, but in a right relationship with God to where he doesn't count your sins against you. Because when he looks at you, all he sees is his son, Jesus, because you've accepted the payment for your, your sins. And some of you have never done that, or maybe you did it a long time ago and you're walking back to God in this moment right now, if that's you, would you acknowledge that by lifting your hand around this room? No one's looking around, just throw it up high. Just say, I'm here to give my life to Jesus or I'm gonna recommit my life to Jesus right now in this moment, hold it up high, hold it up high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, yeah, 17, 18. I see you, I just saw you, brother. Awesome. We're going to pray with you right now. You can pray this prayer in your heart. You can repeat it out loud. God knows Jesus today. Say something like this. Jesus today, I give you my life. I can't do this apart from you. I accept your sacrifice for my sin. I confess you as Lord and I believe God raised you from the dead. And so right now I say you are Lord and you are King of my life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate big. Come on. Hey, listen, here's what the Bible says, that when one sinner comes home and repents, man, there's just a celebration going on in heaven for you. And we're excited for you too, the decision that you made, whether you're in this room or online right now, and we'd love to help you in that journey. So we have some fresh start books that are gonna be a great resource for you. You can pick them up with our prayer team down front here, or you can grab them at the hub on your way out. Also, let me just say this. If you are are connected to this church through giving and you're fueling the ministry that happens here, our auditorium team will be at the doors to receive our tithes and offerings on your way out as well. I can't wait to see what God's gonna do in our relationships over the next couple weeks. Are you guys excited? I'm excited too. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it. So please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There'll be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com slash give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.